0: open my mouth and I wasn't exactly sure how much was going to come out. A couple of days ago I had no voice. I was pretty much gone for a couple of days but slowly it's come back and I know I can't sing when I've got to get up and then talk but I just can't help myself sometimes and every now and then when I was singing I heard it disappear so I'm glad there's something there. I'm sorry it's going to be a bit hard on the ears this morning. I'll try to be as brief as I can. So just a little bit of an update, a number of you are asking about Phil, so if you haven't been here before, I'm Rebecca, my husband Phil, we're um, the church leaders here, or some of the church leaders here, and we, um, Phil is actually in London, he left here on the 27th of December, went travelling with his sister who lives in London for a couple of weeks, he was in um, Italy for about a week and France for a week and then went back to London and he's now in his, or almost finished his second week of a course that he's doing over there for six weeks called the International College um, for Officers and I don't know um, why, I, I went a little while ago and Phil's gone now and I don't know why we were sent, I think it's a little bit of a repeat, you know, like you're not doing a good enough job so they send you back to college. for six weeks to try to relearn what you learned, like for us, like 17, 18 years ago. But um, there's all sorts of things that are taught, but he, as I um, found, he's finding that just building relationships with people from all over the world is absolutely amazing, and he's really loving that. He's loving some of the leaders over there. It's good when you see these, like, names of people at a distance and then you get to to meet them, like the chief of the staff. um, He's a great officer and Phil just says, like, just an amazing preacher and so much respect for his teaching. So, yeah, he's having a really good time. He does say he misses me. It's kind of like every, like, second or third message, I miss you, I'm homesick, but then this big, long spiel about how much fun he's having. So I'm not sure how genuine it really is. Um, And I'm pretty sure he's not watching because it's, like, quarter to 12 over there. Surely he's asleep. But anyway, I shouldn't be wasting my voice. I'm really grateful this morning for so many people sharing um, so honestly and it takes courage to share honestly and I suppose um, in the spirit of this series that we're doing, we started last week about being courageous and this morning I'm talking about courageous thinking and so in the spirit of honesty I have to tell you that this thing trips me up all the time. Courageous thinking is so important and yet I often find myself having thoughts that aren't courageous, thoughts that aren't helpful to living a courageous life. And so I hope this morning as you hear from God's word, as I've been mulling over God's word myself over the last couple of weeks looking at this, um, that you will be encouraged. To, to take action, to correct your thinking. You know, God gives us his power. He gives us courage, but it's our job to hold on to that and to have the right thoughts. Anyway, I'm preaching before I even start. Okay, so one of my... Um I have had a broken finger for a long time, sorry I shouldn't put it up like that. I've had a broken finger for a long time and um, it's still not doing really well and and the surgeon on Friday is still talking about whether we're going to do more surgery, which I don't even want to think about, but I have been given clearance to go back to my gym and to start lifting some light weights. Now I need this because I'm not a good exerciser. I'm a regular exerciser, but I'm a bad one. If I'm running on a treadmill and I feel a little bit tired and my mind says, come on, just put it down a few kilometres, I put it down a few kilometres. But when I'm in a class environment and someone's at the front yelling at me saying you can do this and picking at you if you don't do it I performed my best you know like under pressure someone's looking out and um, a lot of the instructors and one of my favorite guys at my gym who's now no longer there anymore his name was Jeff I think I've told you about him before and he'd yell these things at me not just at me, but at the 30 of us or so in the room. You can do it. It's a battle of the mind, not of your strength. Control your mind and you'll get good guns. Like, it really didn't work for me, but it was like, change your mind, change your body. Now, he wasn't meaning think skinny or something. <laughs> he was meaning if you change your mindset, instead of saying, I can't do it and stop as soon as it feels a little bit hard, change your mind and think, I can do it and it will make a difference. And it's true. But this morning, we're not getting our wisdom from Jeff because Jeff only has that limited amount of wisdom, I think, to share in my life. We're going to go to the Word of God, the Word of God that is central and that we were reminded about last week being so foundational and important to our courageous living. So the verse last week that Sarah shared with us as we set up this series was from 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to 14. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Be strong. And do everything with love. And as Sarah said last week, these are like military commands. These aren't, this is a bit of a suggestion about how you might want to live your life. The, the spirit of this passage is actually, this is what you need to do. You can just hear the format, the short sentences, can't you? How to survive the battle, how to win the war that we're living, the, the war of life, the war of living courageously. We stand firm, also oh, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, not suggestions. So this week, we're going to focus on that first term, be on guard, be on guard. And the Greek word for this be on guard term is Gregorio, Gregorio. And it's basically the opposite of being asleep. That's our best translation. It's the opposite of being asleep. In other words, it's about having a sharp mind, being with it, you know, to be totally awake, prepared for attack, be on guard. The mind is important, isn't it? The mind's important, yes. Mind's very important. It's important to ourselves, it's important to our physical well being, but it's also important in our relationships with Jesus and with other people. Our thought life matters, thought, thought life matters a great deal. In the next um, letter to Corinthians, so this is from 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, Paul goes on to talk to this early church about how important the mind is in our thinking. And um, Kyle read to us a few verses this morning. I'm just going to read a couple again to remind us. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ scripture says these weapons that we fight with are not of the world but they have divine power to demolish strongholds in our lives can i give you one more greek word this morning i hope you're getting these down because by the end of the year you might know all the the greek words <laughs> or a few of them the greek word translated as stronghold is okuruma okuruma and it means a prisoner locked by deception don't you love in the greek that you get these good pictures it means a, pi- a prisoner locked by deception. It's about fortifying something that isn't true, living by something that is not actually true. One author described a stronghold as a place of strength where evil is entrenched. A stronghold is not out of the open or easily exposed. In other words, we might have some strongholds that we don't even know about yet, a stronghold is well defended and difficult to attack precisely because often we can't see it. It's covered by deception. Now, if you're a fan of Facebook and we're on Facebook this week and you read the comment that I wrote there um, about this week's sermon, you would have read this illustration about a stronghold. So, maybe some of you have seen before or you've used them before, maybe some of you, these invisible pet fences. So you get these invisible pet fences, which, like you said, a boundary, it's like an invisible electric sort of boundary, and your pet wears a collar. And so when they approach this fence, if they get to a certain space, you know what happens? Bzz, they get a bit of a shock. And, you know, so they, so they retreat because it's yuck. And, you know, this, they can wear these for weeks and weeks on end. But do you know what happens after a while? You can turn off the fence. You can even remove the collar and they still won't go past that barrier. They're a prisoner locked by deception. There's no reason they can't run out of the road and get hit by a car anymore, but they know not to because they've been trained that there's this barrier there which actually is no longer there. That's actually the picture we get of a stronghold. And some of us here have similar issues, metaphorically. Rather than courageous thinking, rather than being on guard, and having a sharp mind, often our thoughts are more like, I can't go beyond this point. This is too hard. I can never have an intimate relationship with God. I can never be good enough. I I can never have a good relationship with other people. People just don't like me. I could never change. I will never be anything but a failure. Any of these things ever come to your mind? I will never be anything but addicted. This is just the way I am. That's an okuruma. A stronghold, a prisoner locked by deception. Now, in order for God to to demolish strongholds, there's a few things that we need to do to get in the way of our courageous thinking. And firstly, the thing we need to do is we need to identify that stronghold, which, as I said, is sometimes hard because we've deceived ourselves. We need to identify the stronghold. We need to know our target if we're going to fight against the stronghold. We need to know what it is. We need to be able to see that target. You know, Satan's game plan, if you've read much of your Bible and have been reading again some of the New Testament um, this year and see where Satan works, and his greatest game, game plan is to lie. He lies. He wants us to be prisoners locked by deception. So we won't seek the perfect will of God, but instead we'll be a prisoner, a captive, restricted by this boundary that isn't there because God has come that we might have freedom. Satan's greatest weapon has always been the lie. It started back in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. He, he lied to Adam and Eve in the garden. It's how he fights with you. It's how he fights with me today. John 8, says, When the devil lies, he speaks his own native language, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. It's who he is. It's what he does. You know, Some of us have strongholds, have lies over our lives that we've handed down to generations and perhaps got from the generations before us. Unhealthy habits, addictions, fears, patterns of thinking, negativity. Strongholds are really easy to pass on to people that we know and that we love because they often become obvious to others. We can have financial strongholds where we're, we're overwhelmed with the concern about financial security. We can have addictive or habitual strongholds And when we say addictions, I don't just mean to alcohol or to drugs or to sexual sins. Some of us are addicted to work, to food, to computer games. Some are addicted to what others think about them. They just never feel like they're good enough. Some need recognition all the time of their performance and their worth. Some of us have strongholds in our relationships. We don't relate well with others around us. We or others in our lives are overcontrolling. We struggle with intimacy. We struggle with vulnerability. There's all sorts of ways that we can hold on to strongholds in our lives. And the first thing we need to do, bottom line, is we need to identify the stronghold. We need to acknowledge that there's a problem and ask God to attack it with His weapons. And so that's number two. We need to attack the stronghold with God's weapons. We go on the attack. We go on the offensive, if you like. We don't wait around. We don't hope that one day God will just fix this problem. We don't think, this is just how I am. We actually are prepared, not asleep. That's what it means. Be on guard. Do something about it. Be alert. Don't wait around passively. We go against, we, we go against the... On, sorry, we go on offense against the attacks of the evil one. And so how do we attack? How do we uh, uh, be offensive? 2 Corinthians 10... Verse 3, we do not wage war as the world does. How does the world wage war? That, that um, term for wage war is strategia. I said one more, that's another one, sorry about that, which is the same word that's used for strategy. What are our strategies? What's the world's strategies for fighting war? What's the world's strategies for fighting issues with our mind? Well, there's some really good ones programs, studies, classes, counselling, self-help books, I've used these and they've been super helpful in my life, God has used them to transform some of my thinking and my my living, in and of themselves they're not bad but as Christians let's make sure we're also using fully the weapons of God and what does God say they are, verse 4, the weapons we fight with not the weapons of the world, there's two of them, guarding our thinking requires number one, prayer, prayer, Prayer. Do we believe in the power of prayer? A few of you do. We believe in the power of prayer. We pray, we pray, we pray. We get other people praying for us and with us. We pray. And secondly, and just as importantly, we have the weapon of truth. The weapon of prayer and the weapon of truth. Jesus says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. This isn't a physical thing. This is know the truth. Our physical transformation doesn't happen just because we know something. We actually have to hold it really deeply and apply it. And I love this verse. Maybe it's one of my most favorite verses in the Bible, the next verse, verse 5. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Now, I don't know. I think I watch too many crime, police sort of TV shows. But I get an image when I say, when I think about this verse. I take captive the thought and make it obedient to Christ. I get the thought, I capture the bad guy. Whatever's going on in my mind that's not the truth and I make it give up to Christ. Rather than than us being a prisoner of this lie, we take the lie and we hold it up against Christ and his truth and what he said about us, what he said about the world, what he said about the devil and we make it captive to Christ. We consider it in terms of what God says and we let the power of God change our thinking. What is your lie? Well, what's a lie that you've believed? I'll never be good enough? I could never have a good relationship with God. I'll never make a difference, but what is it for you? I'm always going to struggle financially. I always just fail, so why try? What we believe, our thought life, can be real damaging. And the reality is sometimes um, our worry about it isn't a result of the situation, but about how we're thinking about it. In Song of Solomon um, chapter two verse fifteen, um, the bride to be is talking about her her king Sol- to King Solomon, her groom to be, and she's like, I suppose, telling him what she wants for her future. And Song of Solomon can be a bit like risky when you read it, and you don't read many verses in church because it's hard to explain. But I love this verse. Solomon two verse fifteen says, "Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin our vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom." She says, catch the foxes that spoil the vines. If the blossoming vineyard is, is taken to mean the growing romance between the, two, the, the couple, which is what we're thinking, what, what she's saying is actually capture any of those tiny problems, those bad things, those little things that are, are just buds of issues before they damage their relationship. Catch the foxes, just even those little foxes that have the potential to be destructive. And I want to tell you, our thoughts may seem to be little things. Our thoughts may seem to just be insignificant and they're invisible to most of the world. But you know, they have the ability to destroy. Courageous thinking requires us to catch those little foxes, to get those thoughts, to take captives those, thought, those thoughts, and to interpret them according to what? According to what Jesus says about our relationship with Him. And where do we find that out? In His Word. That's why it's so important, and I know we were hopping on this all the time, and thanks Joe for for assisting as well this morning, but it's so important that we take our thoughts and we hold them up against the word of God regularly. If we wait to Sunday to come and be reminded about what God's word says, our thoughts can go well down the drain by then. Let's daily take God's word and hold our thoughts up against his word and what he says about us and about our situation. You know, Paul gives us a great example of how to do this, how to, like, interpret thoughts. I reckon it's just really cool with the Apostle Paul that in Acts we get to see what he does, right? We get to see his journeys, his missionary journeys, how he goes and starts churches, and he's shipwrecked, and, you know, he sees a light on the road, and we get to see about his journey, his life. But then do you actually realise that when we read the letters to the churches, when we read a letter like Corinthians, we're actually reading Paul's thoughts, We're reading his interpretation of those events that happened to him. And I love that because I actually think it can help us. The people in Philippi, um, when he writes the book of Philippians, they're concerned about him. Um, He's founded this church, Philippi. There's been this turn of events and Paul's ended up in prison and he's writing um, to this church. He's like, he writes from verse 12 in Philippians verse 1. He's like, we need to talk about what has happened. What happened? has happened. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think about that phrase, I think about things in my life that have happened. Maybe you've thought about what happened when you were young that's affected your life today. What happened that caused me to leave that job? What happened in my marriage? What happened for me to be the way I am? What happened in that failed relationship? What happened for Paul was that he'd been moved from house arrest into more significant a palace guard where, where the prisoners were going to go to a await trial, and potentially, who knows what would happen from there. But it was scary. And the church at Philippi are hearing second-hand information, because there wasn't journalism in that day. They didn't get the real accurate information that we get on social media now. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> but they're hearing secondhand about what's happened to him. And so he says, "Paul says, "I want you to hear straight from me about what has happened." But then it's interesting because he actually doesn't go on to detail exactly the facts of what happened to him. He doesn't go and list on everyone that's been mean to him or how he's been falsely accused or his terrible situation. He he doesn't say, I've been falsely accused and I'm in prison for my faith. Instead, he gives an interpretation. He, He shares what God has spoken to him about his situation. He says, my life isn't so much really about what happens to me. It's more about what it means. Instead of going on the details... Outside his control, he says this, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What an interpretation. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul says basically, I can't change the what. I could go on and tell you about the circumstances, but actually let me tell you what's more important. It's about the why. Yeah, I'm in chains, but look at what has happened because of that. I think Paul teaches us that life is really less about the what and more about the why. Not so much what is happening to us, but why it's happening, why God is doing this in our life, or why God's allowing that, why what he wants to do because of the why, because of our purpose. I think courageous thinking requires us to focus more on that why. Paul's faith didn't change the what, the description of the circumstance, but Paul's faith informed the why, the interpretation. And I think that's what we do. When we um, hold up that captive thought according to what Christ has said in his word, We're interpreting it through a filter of Christ rather than our own toxic thoughts. Interpretation is interrogation of the thought. You know, just like in those police shows, someone's captured and they're interrogated. It's not assumed that they're guilty, even though often it kind of is, but they're interrogated. They're after some proof and our proof is the word of God. This year, my prayer for us as a church is that we'll believe more about what God says about us and his church than what the world says, that we'll find strength in that and there will really be that light on a hill as God has called us to be. I know people that always interpret someone else's actions and often I don't necessarily think they're right. You know, they interpret other people's silence, that they're angry with them. He thinks he's better than me because he walked right by me and didn't even speak. Did he in the video earlier, those thought bubbles? We often think about things that aren't even true. A good relationship requires interpretation. We need to choose to interpret things according to what God says and what's best in our relationships and our life. You know, I'll dope on Phil, but you know, Phil and I often find ourselves speaking different languages and require interpretation. I think any of you that are in any sort of close relationships would know what I mean. You know, regularly, some of you are laughing too hard right now, but regularly, I'll have to stop and think, no. He doesn't mean exactly what I think he he means in that. He's under a lot of pressure, he's had a big day, I'm gonna interpret it, Phil loves me, he cares about me, he's having a bad moment, and you know what, an hour later, things are fine. And you know, I pray like crazy that the Holy Spirit interprets my words and my actions sometimes to Phil, and that sometimes he thinks, rather than think, she's an idiot, thinks, you might be crazy, you might seem neurotic, you might seem like a control freak, but actually I know you just really love me and the kids and you want the best for our family. I pray that interpretation happens in his mind anyway. But do you know what I mean? We can't just take things as the world takes them. We hold them up to what God says about us and about our relationships and about who we are. I reckon today we should take some time not to pray for changed circumstances, although we do continue to do that for many in our church family and our world that are struggling. But I want to invite you for yourself and for others to also pray for a new interpretation of your circumstances. Pray that you'll hold up the circumstance to God and ask, what God do you want to do through this? What do you have to teach me through your word at this? Verse 18, as we finish, and the ensemble's going to come and help us sing in a moment, but verse 18 says, but what does it matter? What does it matter so much about my circumstance? I, I need to get better at using this phrase when I'm worried about something, when I'm anxious about something. But what does it matter? I can take little things way too seriously. But what matters? The important thing Paul says, whether from false motives or true, that Christ is preached. Can you say that more in your life this year? What does it matter if someone thinks I'm a bit weird or if someone doesn't talk to me? As long as I keep on living, declaring in my life that Christ is Lord, that he's Lord of my life and that he's Lord of our world. Now, when our thinking becomes obedient to Christ, that's when we get courageous thinking, thinking that comes from God, that guards us and keeps our life full, gives us that life to the full that we're promised. So this morning we're gonna sing, we're gonna sing the song we sang earlier, Cornerstone. My hope is built on nothing less. It's not built on what people say about me, it's not built on my circumstances, it's not built on those initial thoughts that enter my mind but it's built on the hope I find in Jesus, the interpretation that he gives to my life this year. Don't let bitterness, resentment or fear or frustrations overrun you or become the theme of your life. Let Christ be your rock, your cornerstone. Allow him to change your thoughts. We're going to sing together.